Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Was not prepared. Sorry. It's okay. How's it going? Good. How are you? Just as I say, every single week, living life. That's that is the new motto of the. You have to read this book pa- podcast. We are we are just living life over here. I'm Peyton. Uh, I'm Bailey. My pronouns are she/her. And mine are also she, her, and we have a really exciting show lined up for you guys today. Like actually Bailey and I were talking about this, um, last week, we feel quite professional by the number of shows we have planned. So yeah, <laughs> normally guys, we plan one like week or one show in advance, but we have like the next like five planned out. Like so cool. We're, we're like, we've got it together. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed with us. Um, and so Bailey, uh, this week we have one of your college friends on. Is that right? We do. She is uh, one of the coolest and funniest people I know, especially her Instagram stories are top notch. Uh, we went to college together. She was in my sorority. She now is an English, a seventh grade English teacher, uh, a, a very impressive in South Carolina. And her name is Rachel. Hi. Rachel, Hello, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you all so much. I'm so excited to be here. We are excited excited to have you. And we are, um, topic of the episode is going to be talking about classics and Rachel is going to like educate us on the things that we need to know to impress people at dinner parties. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That's, that's, I mean, that's really what reading is for. Just impressing people at dinner parties. Uh, the dinner parties that we don't go to because yes yes it's definitely something to talk about like when you run out of things to talk about you can be like well what okay I read this great book I'm gonna tell you all about it true and I feel like if I say oh I read this great lesbian romance book people are like not gonna want to engage so that's why I need the classics to to engage people well you gotta be well-rounded I mean it's it's all part of all all part of being a great reader being well-rounded true that well Um, Peyton, how, how is your week going? Um, my week is going fabulously. I get vaccinated, um, this week on Friday. I'm very excited for that. And, um, I passed my final for my CFP on taxes this weekend, which was a struggle, but that's over. And I just had a really, I have, I've had a great week. How about you? Um, I got to go home to Cincinnati, uh, Northern Kentucky last week, and I got to see you, which was so nice. Um, that was nice. I, I can't believe that. That was like only a week ago. For some reason, no. it feels like forever. It does ago. seem forever ago. Um, so that was fun. Um, and also I dyed my hair red. You can't see it. Um, and it's this- super cute, y'all. She oh, looks God. so good. Thank you. Um, it's like a balayage thing, so I don't even really have to worry about the roots growing out. Um, but I'll probably diet more anyway, but I really love it. It's fun. And it was like a major flex because I told you guys how I cut my bangs myself and the hairstylist, I was like, Oh, I cut these myself. Like I might've done a bad job. You can trim them if you need to. And she was like, you did a really great job on one side, but my not like my right side where I had to like cut with my non-dominant hand. She was like, it needs some work, but like, I'm just gonna like go with the fact that I did it perfect on one side. I would too. I think that's brilliant. Um, And it's great that you did it perfect on one side. And you know what you did wrong on the other side. It's just hard to cut. Yeah, I cut up at an angle instead of cutting down. Right. um, Which that would that would be hard if you're only one handed. I just tried to do it wasn't working. (laughs) I mean, your wrist like doesn't bend that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I just need to get better with my left hand, I guess. Um, Rachel, how's your week? Uh, It's been it has been a week. I we have spring break coming up next week. So this week has just been like very insanely prepping because we had like grades come out on Monday, so just lots of like final grading, parent conferences, all this fun stuff. Um my boyfriend and I are going home to Kentucky for spring break, which I'm very excited about. Um but just lots of obviously preparations. I'm getting my second vaccine tomorrow. Yay. And my boyfriend is also in a wedding on Friday. So like we're trying to coordinate like all these things, like going home, like trying to plan like, okay, when are we going to leave? Because this wedding is like out of town. It's just lots of, I've been thinking of it as like, I've got 
I'm like climbing up a hill. I've got all these things that I've got to do before I can get to the top. And then at the top, it'll be spring break. I get to be with my family. I get to be with my friends and my boyfriend and it's going to be great. But before I get to that point, gotta climb the hill. Gotta climb the hill. Exactly. exactly. Is this your boyfriend's first time coming back to Kentucky with you? Yes. Yes. So exciting. I hope you have guys have good weather for it. It's been really nice. Um, I'm in Kentucky, so it's, it's I'm way north of where you are, but yeah. it's been nice. I was down in Somerset. Am I allowed to say where you're from? Sorry. I was down there. I can bleep that out. <laughs> I, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> um, well, if you could understand me, kudos to you. Um, I was down there a week ago and it was beautiful. Um, really great weather. Yeah. Yeah, my sister was texting me today because we have like planned this whole like grand tour of our home county because as true Kentuckians know, you don't say what city you're from, you say what county you're from. Unless you're from Northern Kentucky. Yes, unless you're from like Northern Kentucky, Lexington or Louisville. Um, But we planned this like grand tour of our home county that we're going to take my boyfriend on. He's very excited because people in South Carolina don't really have basements because like it floods really easily. And I like said something about my family having a basement and he was like, your family has a basement. And I was like, yes, we have a basement. <laughs> Everyone has basements. So he's ex- very excited about basements. That's wow. funny. What a fun thing to be excited about. It's, it's, it's so pure. He's so pure. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously like, you guys live in South Carolina, so, I mean, you're, you live in the South, but do you think he'll be, like, surprised by anything in Kentucky? Like, do you think it'll be any culture shock? I've been wondering that. Like, accents are very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm, so I'm a little bit of a dialect geek, um, so, like, I, I notice a lot of differences between dialects and accents, so there is, like, quite a bit of a difference between, like, South Carolina dialect, especially once you get into like Gullah dialect, which is like spoken in um, more of the low country of South Carolina, um, than like Appalachian dialect that like I grew up speaking. I I don't know. I've been I've been like telling him like I mean Kentucky is while South Carolina has the beaches, like Kentucky is just so much more beautiful. <laughs> um, you know, so green, so. Yeah. so nice. Kentucky's um, gorgeous. Oh, it is. It is. No, I think basements might be the big, <laughs> basements might be the biggest culture shock. That's hilarious. I love that that's, that'll be the culture shock. Um, yes. Normally it's a little bit worse for the state of Kentucky, so that's good. So. Yeah, same. Okay, so we are talking about classics this week, which I'm super excited about because some of my favorite books like of all time and some of the ones that I go back to and that I read again and again for comfort are classics. So, but I'm very like niche on, okay, those are my classics and I'm too afraid to expand. So I'm very excited to learn from an English teacher that loves to read and loves to talk about books, what she recommends for for classics so thank you for being here and for talking about this with us absolutely and again thank you all for having me I love I love teaching seventh grade but I don't get to talk about the books I love nearly as much uh with seventh graders so well so can we start there we normally ask people to tell us a little bit about their reading lives and like what they like to read and and what like what they gravitate towards. So you don't normally have to talk about what you love with seventh graders. So what, what do you love to read? Well, truthfully, I love just about any genre. Like I'm, I've got books literally all over my bedroom and all over my house. And I'm just like looking at them and like, there are so many genres represented. Like I love nonfiction. I love, um, general more contemporary fiction I love more classic fiction I love middle grade literature that like my kids do read I I do love reading that I love reading young adult I love um, is there anything you don't love I mean I don't really like those like little um 
Harlequin romance novels, like the little. Okay. Me either, but Peyton does. Hey, no shame. No shame. No, I'm, I'm not offended. I am not shamed. I know they are not for everyone, but yeah. gosh, I love them. Yeah. And like super high fantasy, I don't love. Like there's some fantasy books I love, but like super high fantasy, not really for me. It can be hard to get into. Yeah. It, but but honestly, it really does depend on the book. And like, that's kind of my motto with lots of things I enjoy, like in terms of art, like while there are certain genres I do gravitate toward more, it, I, I'm not like morally, I'm not like opposed to like, I'm not like opposed to like one certain genre and will like never read something from that genre, if that makes sense. So I really do love reading a variety of books but there's only a small variety of what I love to read that I can like really talk about with my students. Um, so it's part of why I'm very excited to be here, especially to get to talk about classics, which when like a lot of people will ask me for recommendations for books um, and, I, and I don't usually recommend classics because again, I know that they're not really, they, they can be difficult to get into, but I am also a firm believer that there is a quote-unquote classic book out there for everyone. You just have to find it. So I agree with you. I think so too. I have found the ones that I love. I would love to find more uh, oh, yes. to read. So, um, okay. So then for people that don't read a lot of classics or that do, why are class, why is it important to read classics? Well, I, I think it's important because, and I'm going to get like a little bit, so I majored in English literature. So my like English literature brain is about to be turned on here. Just purely from a like historical perspective, I think it's really important to see how literature has evolved over the last several centuries thousands of years however you want to define that however you define like the earliest forms of literature I think it's really cool to see how a lot of modern fiction is influenced by a lot of these classics I mean how like how many versions how many new versions of Pride and Prejudice have, have there been how many books and movies are like inspired by Shakespeare plays. Classics are everywhere. Um, and I think that the more well-read you are in classics, the more you can appreciate when you find references to them in a TV show or another book, or when you are reading or watching something that was inspired by one of these works. I, I really do think it just makes it helps you're able to enjoy so many more things the more that you read classics that was one of the one of the biggest things I learned in my literature classes in college was that you shouldn't think about the books you read in isolation you should think about how you've seen these themes you've seen these ideas come up before because the the more you can, un the more you read about something, the more you're going to, like, the more you can understand it. So I, I, that, that's why I think it's important. That's so cool and so true. Um, you mentioned, like, themes. When you look for books to read, you said you read a little bit of everything, but is there, like, specific themes that you look for? Like, how do you choose your books, both non-classics and classics? Yeah, I really love books that... I really like coming of age stories and those are, I mean, you can find those in just about any genre. Um, you can find a book that has at least something of a, somewhat of a coming of age story type theme. So I really love coming of age stories. I really love, I really love like will they, won't they romances, love those. Um, one of my, actually one of my favorite will they won't they slash enemies to lovers stories is uh, Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. I love that one. Oh my gosh it is so good and the movie with Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson is just like impeccable. 
have not seen the movie, but now I'm, I love Emma Thompson, so I'm gonna have to find it's, it. It is just, oh, it's, it's perfect. Um, so I love like enemies to lovers. I love, oh gosh. I just, I love that you, that, that you said, oh, one of the enemies to lovers that I love is much ado about nothing. And I don't think that most people like enemies to lovers sounds like such a contemporary kind of idea. And like, and like, it can only be in very, like, very generic romance novels, right? Like if it's not a romance novel, then it can't be enemies to lovers. Like you don't right. think of that. And so I love that you just pulled out freaking Shakespeare for, <laughs> for <laughs> and you're one of your favorite enemies to lovers. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Th- thank you. And I mean, it's not just Shakespeare. Like that's literally what Pride and Prejudice is. Oh yes. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like these themes are everywhere. And if once you know how, once you know what you like to read, you can find that in any genre. That's, and that's part of why I say that like, there's really not any genre that I dislike because I know what I like to read. And what I like to read are good stories. And sometimes those really good stories, they're in a manga. I really love reading manga. Uh, Sometimes they're in a classic. Sometimes they're in contemporary fiction. But a good story is a good story, regardless of genre. 100%. I like want to make that like an Instagram quote. Like, you're so wise. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Oh, it's it's the children. (laughs) Lord. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, what classics do you think are absolute must-reads? Oh, gosh. I know, we really did not go easy on you. If you want to start with your favorites, I don't know. Yeah, so I made, like, a little list on on a sticky note on my computer, so I'm, like, looking through that. I'm going to start, I'm going to start, like, at a, I'm going to start, like, easy to more difficult, because there are some classic books that are, like, on difficult mode, but I think are absolutely worth reading. And there are some that are like, if you are just getting into reading classics, you want to dip your toes in. And I also have some uh, tips I'm going to give for like, you really want to dive into some of these more difficult books, some ways to break them down. That's perfect. Because my next question was going to be like, how do you start a reluctant classic reader? Like, how would you advise them to start? Because I am a reluctant classic reader, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that one, one, a classic book that is one of my favorites and also pretty accessible um, is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. It is, it's a beautiful story. It's a heartbreaking story. And it just, it's a semi-autobiographical and it's about Sylvia Plath's um, early life, um, or early um, young adulthood. So you've got a lot of those themes I mentioned. You've got like coming of age, you've got like struggling with identity um, and you have a young woman who literally experiences a mental breakdown because of the pressure she finds herself under. And just the way she talks about her mental illness and her frustration with like not being able to feel better I think that is something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, so The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath is just a 25 out of 10. Highly recommend. Um, another classic, and this is what I, this is one I think I would call like a newer classic. I think it was published in the 90s, but it like is on a lot of like must read lists. So I think it's, I think it's pretty safe to consider this a classic. It's called Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. And it, it it's difficult to describe what this book is about without giving away the like big twist. So what I'll just say about Never Let Me Go is that if you like stories about groups of people who like you get to see them grow up and you like stories that have kind of like a dark twist, not in like a supernatural way, just like a, I don't really know how to describe it. 
if you like dark twists and you like reading like a tragedy it's I'll, see I don't know if I would call it a tragedy it's so difficult to describe anyone who's listening who's read this this book you're gonna know exactly what I mean by like it's hard to describe what the twist is without giving it away um but also his writing is so brilliant that like you lead up to this and when finally it's revealed what it is it's just mentioned very like passingly but not in a way that that's like bad writing like in a way of like oh wait wait this is what's going on oh my gosh oh my gosh so if you like it's also a book that really deals with um you know like morality and trying to debate like okay when is it too much to sacrifice for the greater good interesting yeah that sounds like actually I want to read it now yeah you've made you've made me want to read it it's so good it's so good never let me go by Kazuo Ishiguro I'm pretty sure it was made into a movie as well it is gosh I can't recommend that book enough um another favorite classic of mine is Lolita Uh, And I know Lolita is, I feel like people who have not read Lolita think they know what Lolita is about. And what they think it's about is probably incorrect. But, and I don't know, I feel like more lately, I've seen like a lot of discourse about Lolita, specifically from people who like don't really understand what it's about, because it is not, it is not a book that glorifies, um, the type of relationship that is present and they're like you are very much meant to see how disturbed that is yes yeah Yeah. the the author and I'm horrible at authors and I should know the author of Lolita but Vladimir Nabokov yes he didn't want any depiction of a girl on any of the covers of Lolita when it was published yeah so I'm sure he's like rolling over in his grave pretty sure yes. he's alive, uh, with the like lollipop cover and all the other very risque covers that that book has yes. received it's yes so if you and it does have and I will say so it's not graphic in any way so if you are worried about like reading something super graphic about something really gross you don't have to worry about that. I mean, that being said, if you, if you think that this could be a triggering book for you, obviously, you know, do not, do not make yourself read something that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, but it's, it's not graphic in any way. It's, and again, it's another book that deals with a lot of issues of morality. And I love, I love an unreliable narrator. I think unreliable narrator is one of my favorite tropes and Lolita is perfect example of an unreliable narrator so pick it up who is the narrator does that give anything away the narrator is um the uh, his name is Humbert Humbert um so the narrator is the man who pursues a relationship with Lolita okay so like in his and it's framed as like a journal kind of so you are reading like his justification for everything and it's so fascinating because it's like man this is twisted but because he's I I don't know it's so good I'm so excited I need to read that it's been on my list for forever and I just never got to it yeah it's been on it had been on my list forever until I finally picked it up during the pandemic and read it in like a day (laughs) wow yeah And if we're gonna, I'm gonna level up a little bit now to like classics that I also love, but they are, they're more of a time commitment, whether because of length or just their, the writing style is more complex. So the the first three were like accessible. Yeah, I would say the first three are more accessible. Um, They're on the shorter end. I think Never Let Me Go is the longest one of that bunch and it's, around 350 pages maybe so not not too long no um next one I would recommend would be Middle March by George Eliot um which is I would I put on the next level just because it is a longer book 
uh, but it is so good. It's again, if you, Middle March is a story about a just a group of people living in a small English town and it kind of goes throughout the years. So you've got all kinds of different stories in there. You've got, you know, a young woman who finds herself in in an unhappy marriage. You've got a woman who, you know, is, you've got like pining after lost love. You've got like difficult family relationships, but it's just a beautiful story. It's one of those stories that's not really about anything in particular. It's just kind of about life. So I highly recommend Middlemarch. Um, I also highly recommend, I, I should have put this on like the first tier, but whatever. <laughs> um, also recommend A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hain Hainsbury. I love A Raisin in the Sun. Oh my gosh. So A Raisin in the Sun is a play. So if like you're not into reading plays, I totally get that. However, it's totally worth it. It's, gosh, it's just beautiful. The characters are so rich so rich it's and that's another one I would say that the more I teach um when I taught high school I would teach that in conjunction with like a lot of poets from the Harlem Renaissance yes that's how we learned it yeah so that is a really great example of how you know the more you know about an era of literature the more you read surrounding an era of literature especially works from the Harlem Renaissance, which all play together in a lot of ways, the more you're going to be able to love it. And the reason in the sun is pretty short. So it's one that like, if you wanted to, like, as soon as you finish reading it, you could like go back and reread it again. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Um, the next one I would recommend would be The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. Now, this is a difficult book. It's not a long book. It's maybe 200 pages but it was written in stream of consciousness. Oh, that's difficult for me. <laughs> it's, and the thing is, it's not, it's, it's like stream of consciousness, but turned up to like a thousand. That's how As I Lay Dying is too, right? That's also Faulkner. Yes. Um, yeah. It's not as, so As I Lay Dying is a mostly linear story. Or at least okay. the chapters are pretty linear. Right. In The Sound and the Fury, the speaker and the tense will change all within the same sentence sometimes. Oh my God. Oh. I don't, I. It's, it is not, it's not for the paint apart. It is an incredible <laughs> book. I, and I'm very grateful I got to read it in college. I had a fantastic professor who taught the class I read it for. And if he, honestly, if I hadn't had that professor, I think I would have been so lost. But like he helped us like notice the patterns of like when the tense changes. So this is a book where if you are like, if you really want to read it, this is one I really recommend finding some like resources on the internet to help you understand it or to help you keep track of the tense change because it's gen genuinely if not unless you are like a super freaky genius it it's gonna confuse you spark notes are important yes. okay but it's so worth it it's it's a story about a family that goes over decades but again it's told my professor described it as being told as if you are in someone's head so like, because you know, when you're thinking, you don't think in complete sentences. You think in like little, little blips, little spurts, like one minute you might be thinking about something that happened this afternoon. And then you might start thinking about something that happened 10 years ago. Well, that's kind of how the chapters are structured. And it also depends on the speaker. But the more time you spend with it, and it's a book that you really have to spend time with, the more you learn the characters, the more you learn their voices, it's kind of like you are sitting in a room with all of these people and they're all kind of talking at the same time. But once you focus in on one person, you hear their story, then another's. It, it's a really beautiful book. And 
it's just a really beautiful story. And As I Lay Dying takes place with the same family, so it's kind of a companion to it. Oh, interesting. I think As I Lay Dying comes first. I could be wrong. I don't, I read it and I didn't like it, but I'll... <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> it was a really hard one, but I was in high school and... Yeah. And it was hard and I loved to read, but I didn't love to read classics because I was rebelling against reading old books. And I I will say you talk about books in such a beautiful way. I mean, like every book you've talked about, I'm like, oh, I have to write that down. I want to read that. Oh, I'm going to have to try William Faulkner again because, (laughs) because you're, you, you just talk about them in such a beautiful way. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I, I, I love books and I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people say that, but I, I do. I love books. They're very much living things to me. Yeah. Um, and I would say, oh, he's going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> now the granddaddy of books, classic books that are worth reading in my opinion but like this is like we are on we're on x games mode here would be ulysses by james joyce now you now i was saying how william faulkner's stream of consciousness was like stream of consciousness turned up to like a thousand ulysses is stream of consciousness but also literally any other literary format you can think of turned up to like a thousand Ulysses was written in the 1920s and it was a very experimental novel and it's um, also modeled after the Odyssey um, which goes back to what I was saying earlier how so many works of literature influence things around us every day but works of literature also influence other great works of literature and so I have I'm like some like a longer like a a goal I have to complete within the next couple of years is read the Odyssey all the way through and then reread Ulysses all the way through and that way I can like really appreciate the similarities there but Ulysses is a very it takes place over the course of one day I think but it's a super huge novel each chapter I think they're called books technically um, but like each section is formatted differently so like one section is formatted like a play another section is formatted like I think there's one formatted like a sonnet I'm not sure the last chapter is on like super saiyan mode and it's 40 pages of a single sentence my god oh my god and it like makes sense (laughs) the silence says it all (laughs) It, it's it's incredible it's it's a book like when I first read it I was like I don't know if I like this or not but after I finished it and after I sat with it for a while I was like I think that's brilliant and Ulysses is a very I don't know if I would say controversial but like it's, it's very polarizing I will say like people either love it or hate it and I fully respect the fact that a lot of people do hate it. Um, I love it because I love weird experimental things. So I love that James, like James Joyce was literally like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see what I can do. And he did it. Some people may not like it, but he certainly did it. (laughs) Sounds like it. Um, I, again, you talk about books in a way that can get anyone excited about a book that maybe they didn't feel like they could be excited about. So that is a gift. And I appreciate you sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And Bailey, you said that you had a question for me about tips on how to like get into reading classics if you are Yeah. Like the last classic, I actually when you mentioned like stream of consciousness, I remember like the last classic I read and I it's the last classic I read and the last stream of consciousness book that I liked when I realized that I hate stream of consciousness consciousness (laughs) and it's I'm sure you probably read it because I just assume you've read everything Mrs. Dalloway by I 
couldn't do it. I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> God, so good. We, I just like went on a, couldn't remember what it was called, went on like a hunt for that book the other day. Like, I know I read this book in high school and had a lady on the cover and it was about an affair and she walked <laughs> into the ocean and I just couldn't, I had to call my mom. It was a whole ordeal. Wait, no, I think you're thinking of The Awakening. I am thinking of The Awakening. Yes, that's the <laughs> other one. I read, I read Mrs. Dalloway and The Awakening yes. at the same time. It's like, that, that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I read them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I feel that it's. Straight. But I also loved Mrs. Dalloway. That was also yeah. good. Have you, you read it, Rachel? Did you like it? Yes. I read it in, I think I read it in high school. It's, I need to reread it. There's a lot of, like, I, I've been into reading classics ever since I was in middle school. But, you know, like, I kind of had to, like, level up a little bit. Like, you know, I'm not starting with Ulysses in the sixth grade. That would, I think that would traumatize me. (laughs) But I think I read Mrs. Dalloway when I was in high school. But that's one, that and, like, Wuthering Heights are two that I've been thinking, like, I need to reread both of those. Because I read both of those in high school. I think I would like both of them more now. Um, And that's kind of what happened with, a Farewell to Arms. I read that senior year of high school, hated it. A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. I hated it in high school. Then I read it in college and I had that same professor that I had who taught William Faulkner and was incredible. I loved it. So I think part of it depends, I think it can depend on your age, but also just especially like since I was in literature classes in college, it depended on the teacher too. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, actually, speaking of Hemingway, the one classic that I bought, I think, in the past, like, seven years is The Beautiful and the Damned. I think that's Hemingway. That's Fitzgerald, but that's a very good book. Well, that's the only classic that I bought, and I still haven't read it yet. So maybe, should should I start there, or should I start with one of these others first? Um, I could, I could see, knowing the kinds of books you like, I could see you really liking The Beautiful and the Damned, um, because it's, it's about these, it's, it's about a marriage, like, kind of over the course of a few years, and, you know, they're, like, rich, and there's scandal. And- yeah, I love that. I eat that okay, Yeah, up. okay, yeah, you're gonna love it. It's, honestly, Fitzgerald, in general, is great, so, um, but yeah, it, once you know what you like, you can absolutely find classics that fit that bill. I would say for longer books, so I'll actually use Les Miserables as an example. I have been wanting to read that forever because Les Mis is one of my favorite musicals. And I honestly, most of the people I've talked to who have actually read the book have said like, it takes forever to get through, but it is so worth it. So I was like, okay, 2021, this is going to be my year. But you know, Les Miserables is a, I've got it on my nightstand. It's a huge, I'm looking at it right now. It is, it's a big book. It's have you seen the trick for finishing it? I have not. It's 365 chapters. Read one chapter a day. Huh. Oh. Yeah. I have a friend on Bookstagram that she has a whole journal, like bullet journal spread for how, like what page she'll be on and how many, like, she's got a couple catch-up days built in where she's like, I probably won't read this day because yeah. it's my birthday or whatever, but it's like read a chapter a day. I'm pretty sure there's 365 chapters. You'll finish it in a year. Okay. Well, that's very similar to what I'm doing. So I divided, I like calculated page number and like the number of like sections divided it by 12 and like assigned to myself a certain number of pages to read each month. Yep. Um, so that's so, basically what you're doing. Yeah. That's and perfect. I, yeah, I'm doing that with, um, I'm also reading City of God by St. Augustine. Yeah, you know, St. Augustine. Sorry. I, I try to remember like, okay, St. Saint, Saint Augustine is the city. Augustine is the person. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been trying to read City of God that way as well. Because uh, it's another book that like, I've heard, especially in like, um, a lot of like more, Christian theologian circles that I'm part of like on social media people are like yeah this is a really great book that if you're interested in theology you should read so I highly recommend this I mean I've only been doing this for I guess a couple of months now but I recommend doing it if you have like a really long book you've been wanting to get to 
especially if it's a classic, like divide it up into chunks and assign yourself like, okay, I'm going to read this much in this amount of time. And I'm doing it monthly, but uh, Peyton, it sounds like uh, some people do it daily. It's whatever works for you. I like to do it monthly. That way I can like have a little bit of time in between it. Yeah. If you but, can't read one day or if you need a break or you have yeah. that ability. Yeah. That, yeah. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend this method. Um, and plus by at the end of the year, if you are like doing this with a couple of books, that's like a couple of extra books you get to add to your Goodreads challenge, like right in the final hour. So very true. True that. Okay. Well, so we asked like our question on our Instagram of what are some uh, classics that people think everyone has to read. And we got a few answers that I wanted to mention. And one of them kind of, I have a question that I think will be interesting to talk about. Someone said Frankenstein. Have you read that? Yes. Frankenstein is brilliant. I I literally haven't read any of these. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I know like they're classics for a reason. So I'm just yeah. like, that they're good. Um, Peyton, have you read that? Yes, I just reread it last year for Halloween, and I thought that it, so, like, I read a lot of classics in high school that I was, that I didn't like, and that I've reread as adults, and that I have a new appreciation for, and I thought that's what Frankenstein was gonna do, and it just Mm. didn't do it for me, (laughs) um, but it is, I can appreciate it for its genius, um, but it's, I want it to be a scary monster story, and it's just a sad yeah. like, guy whining story, kind of. So It's one of those books that like, and as, you, as y'all can probably tell, like I love books that like wrestle with morality. So, and it's one of those books. So if you really like wrestling with morality, you're going to like Frankenstein. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one is, which this is actually funny because it's the only book I truly think my mom has ever read. Um, is Catcher in the Rye. I've started it at least five times and never um, got through it because I just thought the guy was whiny. But like, I know it's, I'm whiny too. So you think I would like it. (laughs) But um, what do you, have you guys read that? I assume you probably have. Yes, I have. And I love it. But, and that's another one that does tend to be pretty polarizing. Um, And I, I fully agree Holden Caulfield is whiny. But he, like I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I really love coming of age stories. And, you know, a lot of times when people are coming of age, they suck. And Holden Caulfield is a great example of that. I love TV shows and movies and stories in general about people who are, who suck and are annoying. Um, So I do love Catcher in the Rye. I, it is definitely not for everyone. <laughs> I, I'm determined to finish it because yeah. I also bought a copy from my grandma when she passed away a few years ago. That's like dated, I think from the six. No, it, oh, did, cool. when did it come out? It was like really soon after it came out. Um, I don't think it came out in the sixties. I feel like it was after that. Maybe the fifties. No, I think yeah. it did come it was, out in the sixties. Yeah, well, it's like literally dated from like some of the first couple, one of the first couple years it was out. And so I like have a super old fancy copy of it. I just still haven't read it. Is it, the author, the in you, isn't Peach the daughter of J.D. Salinger? Yeah, she's like supposed to be his like granddaughter or something. Yes. Okay. I have not read the book, but I just remember that that thinking that was a weird connection <laughs> to be made yeah. in you. But yeah, I feel like it explains Joe's weird obsession to her even more. He seems like the type that would be like obsessed with Catcher in the Rye. That's true. Yes. Yeah, he does. Okay, um, and this next one, I'm actually really excited about this conversation because I'm curious to see what your question or what your um, answer is going to be. Um, so Mary Madison, uh, I think you know her. She went to our college. She uh, said uh, Gone with the Wind. And I feel like this is very controversial. So I kind of want to know, like, what do you think about classics that are problematic, like Gone with the Wind? Like, do you think we should keep like reading them in school? And well, I don't think we read it in school, but I think we watched the movie. And like, keep reading them and recommending them because they're classics or do you think and like acknowledging the history or do you think we should not censor them but just like kind of phase them out and focus on like more inclusive and diverse books like what do you think I think that first of all I think books 
like Gone with the Wind or anything that is going to have like a lot of very like very racist or sexist or homophobic content in it. I don't think it's, I do think that it's important to read those along with like acknowledging this is, this is not right, basically. And I feel like most adults are going to know that, but if I were to ever teach a book like that, and I'll, I'll answer the second part of that in a minute. If for some reason I was ever to teach a book like that, I would want to make sure that it was not taught in isolation, that it was taught with like, you know, understanding the context. I, I am very strongly against banning books. I do believe that it's important to, I think it's very important to understand the context and to keep those books around in some form, just solely, like I was saying earlier, just because books, a lot of books like that played a huge role in how literature has developed. And I don't, I don't think it's, that should be ignored. Now, that doesn't mean that we elevate Gone with the Wind as like the gold standard of literature, which I gotta be honest, I don't love Gone with the Wind. Like I read most of it, but I got kind of bored and- It's long, I think. (laughs) Yes, it's it's a book that I would argue has more historical significance, more cultural significance, I would say, than like, of than it having like any actual literary value. Now that doesn't mean it's a badly written book, but I think it's got more cultural value than literary value. So I think books like that, it's you shouldn't read those in isolation. Um, and now that being said, especially as a teacher, I do believe it's important to teach diverse books. And especially as a middle school teacher, you know, you're not reading like super heavy literature in middle school. Um, books I've taught include The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, I taught a book called Inside Out and Back Again by, and I am going to absolutely butcher the author's name uh, because she is Vietnamese and I do not know how to pronounce her name. Um, but it's about a it's kind of semi-autobiographical um, book of written in free verse about her family leaving Vietnam at the end of the Vietnam War and moving to America. Um, I've taught The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm trying to think what else have I taught. But especially in my middle school class, when I teach middle school, I try to teach a lot of diverse books because in middle school, you're really more so teaching novels to get kids used to reading novels. Now in high school, when you get, especially when you get to like AP literature classes, you are going to be reading a lot of dead white dudes. (laughs) And some of those are, you know, we need to keep around like, love my boy Shakespeare. We got to keep Shakespeare around. Um, but obviously, but you also should not ignore the contributions that, um, authors of color have made to literature. Uh, one that comes to mind is, let's, um, well, we were talking about Raisin in the Sun. That is a very important play in terms of American literature. Um, the Harlem, I mean, the Harlem Renaissance in general, like you can't, you cannot teach American literature without teaching the Harlem Renaissance. Um, so if you're teaching more of the history of literature or like literature through history, you are going to have a lot of dead white dudes. And while, you know, obviously the contributions that they made to literature should not be ignored, we also shouldn't act like there weren't many diverse authors contributing to literature during those same eras. Um, that, that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> and okay. I re- that was a great answer. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, I was, was going to say, that's a difficult question. Um, and I think it's one that like we've all been struggling with. And I think you made a really great 
point that there's a, now I'm not going to remember what you said, but there's a difference between cultural books and in books that are like important in literature for, yes. for literature reasons. And I think that we have blurred the lines of what that, not we maybe here in this group, but there are you you feel attacked for for wanting to be able to keep this book even though it's not you know like totally inclusive or it doesn't fit within the spectrum of of what maybe is actually literally yeah. like important in a literature level but it is still a culturally important book and it is so important to not teach them in silos you have to teach yes. more than just that book yes yeah I kind of want to going forward, like how Harry Potter is going to be viewed in the future. And if that's going to be, I feel like it's going to be one of those books that like was culturally important, but that we're, we're always going to, you know, talk about like, yeah, the, the other issues with the author, but I feel like still people will recognize it's like cultural importance. Oh, I yeah. feel like that's the book that I feel like so many, like got so many kids in our generation and the generations like before and after us into reading. Myself included, for sure. Yeah, there, there's still some of, I recently, I reread um, several of the books over winter break this year, and they're, they're just so transportive, like, I don't know, I just, they're such very, they're very immersive, and, you know, I do recognize that part of that probably is my nostalgia, but, you know, they're, there are books that, you know, because I already own them, like, I will probably, I will definitely read them to my kids, but I'll also make sure my kids know it's not cool to be a turf. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of how I feel, too. Like, we've talked about this before, about, like, also the difference in, especially in this book, with separating, like, the book from the author and to, like, what extent you can do that. Yeah, I mean, this book, it's different from Gone with the Wind, where it's, like, not outright racist. I mean, some people might argue that. Um, I don't know. But, like, I feel like usually, like, most of it, it's not outright racist. So, like, it's a little bit different when it's also the author that has the problematic views versus, like, the, the work of art itself. I have talked about this with so many different people. Like, how, at what point do you have to, at what point should you stop separating the art from the artist? And because obviously this isn't just about like books, this includes movies, this includes actors, this includes music, musicians. The point, the like point I've kind of come to is, I think it honestly is going to have to depend on some level on what you personally are comfortable with. But on the other hand, I think especially especially when actions are incredibly egregious. Um, I think it is the responsibility of like people who might publicize certain works to like not do that. Um, I think of, and I mean, obviously this very egregious example would be R. Kelly. Cause I just watched the- um, The documentary. <laughs> Yeah, this thing on Netflix, um, yeah. and they talked about how, like, there's, like, no radio, there's very few, if any, radio stations out there anymore who will play his music, and I think that that is a very wise thing to do. My brother brought that up this past weekend when we were hanging out. Um, I played, I was just playing music from my phone, and an R. Kelly song came on, and I knew every word, and he was like, oh, so wait a minute we just talked about how you're never going to read Harry, Harry Potter again because you hate that author, but you know every word to this R. Kelly song. And I was like, okay, that's some perspective to think about. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting that um, we don't even have to get super far into this, but like that happens with R. Kelly and not Chris Brown, because that's always something that I wondered yeah. is how he's still so popular. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, I cannot listen to R. Kelly. I mean, I, I never listened to a ton of R. Kelly anyway. But, like, I can't, can't do that. I can't, like, I used to love the Cosby show growing up, but, like, I can't watch that. And, and, and that's more of just, like, a level of personal discomfort. Yeah. yeah. 
for me. Um, I will still definitely reread Harry Potter. Um, I don't plan on, I definitely plan on like trying to make sure that like I'm not doing things that are like going, that's going to put money directly in her pocket, basically. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah. But well, that's like a very serious turn. <laughs> um, thank you for being, we, we never know what's going to happen on this podcast, <laughs> and that's the truth. So um, we do make everyone share a book that they think, I mean, this book, this podcast is, you have to read this book. So um, we do make everyone share a book that they think everyone has to read, which I know is a, a tall order. Um, so remember, you're not going to make everybody happy, but what is a book that you think everyone should read, classic or otherwise? Oh, my Lord. I'm like very on the edge of my seat about your answer. I am too. <laughs> I'm like looking around my bedroom right now and like <laughs> books. Okay. I think I'm going to have to go with. I'm going to have to go with A Wrinkle in Time. Ooh, that's a good one. That is one of one of my all-time favorite books. It's a book that I love to reread. I am still angry about the movie because it was trash and just, I. It was just weird, honestly. (laughs) And like, I felt I felt so personally betrayed by Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. Like, how dare y'all do this to me? Anyway. A, a Wrinkle in Time, I would say. It's, it is just such a beautiful book. It's, gosh. I have two copies, actually. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. I found, like, this really cool retro copy at Goodwill once, and I was like, okay, I already have a copy, but, like, I need this one, too. Yeah. So, yeah, A Wrinkle in Time. It's a crowd pleaser. Well, I fully support that, and, um, Thank you so much for literally being so wonderful and so wise. And like, this might be one of my favorite episodes yet. I thank you so much for having me. I, gosh, I just, I literally had so much fun. Yeah. I love talking about books. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I, we can do this for hours. We literally do do it for hours. So um, we can chat about books literally anytime. Um, Peyton, do you want to give us a preview of our next book? Yes. So our next book, um, we are, it was my book pick and Bailey, uh, turns out she might actually like it. Um, Um, not turns out I binge read it last night in four hours (laughs) stayed up till 2 a.m and it's funny because I started it so early thinking that I was gonna have a hard time getting through it and I literally binge it it's so good. So um I win and the, the book we're reading is um, Lauren Lust. It is a queer vampire romance. It's by Carla Nicole. It's her debut novel. Um, you can get it on Kindle. You can, I'm going to buy a personal copy of it. And her second novel is coming out very tomorrow. soon. Uh, tomorrow. Perfect. And we are having um, one of my really good friends, Courtney. Um, she has Sips and Fables on Instagram. Come on the show to talk about it with us because she is who turned me on to uh, this author and this series. So I'm super excited uh, to talk about that with you all in two weeks. And yes, we do recognize the irony of talking about classics and then a queer vampire romance. But you know what? That's the amazing part of our <laughs> podcast in like reading literally anything. That's right. We read literally anything on this on this podcast um Rachel thank you so much for coming on our show where can the good listeners find you y'all can find me um on goodreads if you would like to follow me on goodreads add me love love following people on goodreads um just like Rachel Elizabeth Phelps you could probably find me um I'm on insta Rachel Elizabeth Phelps I have a blog Rachel Elizabeth Phelps at work.wordpress.com. You might be noticing a recurring theme. Uh, <laughs> we'll have all the information in the show notes for you all to follow along. And um, I am definitely going to have to be reading your blog because the way you talk about books ha- is enchanting. So thank you for, for joining us and, and enchanting me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun.
Yeah. And don't forget to give us a like and comment and subscribe and all of the things and go follow us, go follow us on Instagram at you have to read this book podcast. Our personal Instagrams are linked there. So you can just get them there. Absolutely. Um, and Rachel, we say cheers friends. So I'm going to point to you guys and we're all going to say it together. Okay. All right. <laughs> Wait, are you ready? Yes. Cheers. Cheers friends. friends. <laughs>